We're going to talk about this idea. Stop asking Jesus into your heart. That's going to be the series for the next couple of weeks. Stop asking Jesus into your heart. Now, this, this idea comes from a book of the same title um, by a guy named J.D. Greer. Um, if, you, if you're interested, Stop Asking Jesus in Your Heart by J.D. Greer is a great book. It's a really simple read. Um, it's only about 10 chapters long, and uh, you can get the Kindle version of it on Amazon for three bucks. And if you're like, I want the, like the paperback version for five bucks on Amazon, and it'll be delivered to your house, okay? So if you're like, I could use some light reading. Don't, listen, this is something you gotta learn, and I just learned a couple years ago. When you get out of school, this is the coolest thing. You can, listen to me, you can read, and I know you're like, reading's so boring. No, reading to have to write a book report is horrible. But reading to just like, there's no due date, there's no time when you have to be finished. You can, if it takes you a year to read a book, Praise God. Like, because you can actually read it to retain, not just read it to get an A. You know what I'm saying? Like, I learned this like a year ago, and I wish I would have known this when I was in school. Like, what if I read to retain rather than getting an A? I think I'd be a lot smarter than I am now. So that's free information. But uh, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart by J.D. Greer. It's a great book. Um, But this is going to be kind of the theme that we'll be talking about for the next few weeks. And what I'm talking about is assurance of your salvation assurance or confidence of your salvation. How do you know that you know God? That's kind of the theme that we'll be discussing for the next couple weeks. How do you know that you know God? A cycle we see, especially with young people, is we give our life to God. We have a not-so-good week, month, year, or however it is. We find ourselves feeling distant from God. We feel like we never knew God. And then we get invited back to church or we go to a summer camp and we do this thing and we, we give our life back to God, right? We, we say the sinner's prayer again. We go forward at an altar call. We get baptized once again. We feel close to God. Then we mess up. We feel distant from God. And the cycle begins again. Uh, The guy, J.D. Greer, in his book, he says that he probably uh, uh, prayed the sinner's prayer 5,000 times before he graduated high school. He was baptized more times than he can count. And every time at a summer camp that there was a, a altar call, he was standing in the front row. Why? Because he wasn't sure if he was saved. And so every time he had to go forward in order to sort of reaffirm in his his own heart that, yeah, I am a Christian. Because maybe the first time I went forward or maybe the first time I said the prayer or maybe the first time I was baptized, it didn't actually work. So I have to do it again just so that, like, well, when he said the one prayer and I was supposed to repeat it back, I, like, got the words confused. So I don't know if it took this time. And so, so what I want us to understand and what us, I want us to be confident in is that when you've said yes to Jesus, that you are saved, that your sins are forgiven, and that you stand complete in Christ. Now, tonight as we begin, we're going to see sort of the steps we take after salvation. Now, before we get into this, let me very briefly and quickly give you the gospel. Anybody know what the word gospel means? The word gospel, yeah. Yeah means good news, means good news. 
The go- that's when we say gospel, what we mean, what we mean is the message of Jesus Christ, that we who were dead in sin can come alive to God in Christ Jesus, and that news is good. Amen. The message of Jesus is good news. And we need to understand that the message of church is not get right. The, the message of church is not you're bad. The message of church is not those things. Although sometimes we think that it's the message. That's not the message. The message is we are sinners, but God loves us so much that he saved us. It's good news. Now, that message, once we've recognized that and we've believed in our heart that Jesus is who he says that he is, he died on the cross, he rose again, and we place our confidence in him, we are forgiven and we are, to use the language of the Bible, saved. We have become saved from our sins and saved from the wrath to come and saved from all of these things. And once we've said yes to Jesus, what do we do next? I want to title this message, What Do I Do Now? Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It says this, Then they came, this is Jesus and the disciples, to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. So you got this picture. Jesus comes cross on the Sea of Galilee on his boat, gets to the other side, out of the tombs, which is the weirdest place in the world to live. Out of the tombs comes this, this guy. Where we find out later that he puts clothes on. So at this po- moment, he doesn't have any clothes on. And so he comes out of the tombs, and he's got these chains hanging off of him that at one point bound him, but he broke them apart. I remember going to the dollar store. You guys know the dollar store? When you're a kid... When you're a kid, the dollar store was like the best. And I remember my parents would take me and my brothers there, and you'd be like, you can pick out anything you want. And you're like, it's all a dollar. And they're like, exactly. And I remember the coolest thing that we would get was, uh, it would usually be like in a package deal, and it would have like some sort of weapon, and then it would have handcuffs in it. And my favorite thing to do, my favorite thing to do is we'd we'd be playing some fight scene in our room or whatever, and you'd be bound, and then you'd have that moment where they're, because they're like super flimsy and plastic and lame, and it was always me because I'm such an older brother and I always have to be the older brother, but I had them, like you would have them behind your back and you're like, oh, you captured me, and then you'd break them off. <laughs> like they would last like maybe two days in the house, like you're like playing, and then break them off, and you're like, I'm free, I'm the, whatever, I win the fight, however it went down. Um, <laughs> But uh, we, all of our handcuffs, like from when we were kids, were broken in half because of that scene in our... Anyways, um, so this guy, they, they weren't plastic. They were made of chains. That's obvious. And always, verse 5, night and day, he was in the mountain and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him and cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he, Jesus, said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What's your name? And the man answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them, these are the the unclean spirits inside of him, out of the country. 
Now a large herd of swine was feeding uh, there near the mountain, so all the demons begged him, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. And then the unclean spirits went out uh, and entered the swine. There were about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and the country, um, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, praise God, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. And they began to plead with Jesus to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends. Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And all uh, and he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. What I want us to see tonight is the steps the man took after his encounter with Jesus. So, so we have this radical story. It's, it's, it's pretty funny. You got this crazy, naked, demon-possessed guy living in the tombs. He comes out. Jesus and him have this conversation. Jesus ultimately casts these unclean spirits out of him, casts them out of him into these swine. The swine run off a cliff and drown. And then this man, now clothed, he's in his right mind. He, he's no longer demon-possessed. He has this encounter with Jesus, and we see the events that transpire for him after he meets Jesus. And this is a radical conversion story, isn't it? From crazy, naked, demon-possessed, living in the tombs, cutting himself, crying out, breaking shackles and chains, all of these things, from sitting clothed in his right mind, relationship now with Jesus. It's radical conversion. Like literally in a, in a few moments, he goes from psychotic, stay far away, to you can sit down and have a conversation with this guy. Now, most of us have never had a radical conversion story like that. Well, most of us cannot relate to the idea of being crazy, naked, or demon-possessed, although for many of us, we've had our fair share of demons or struggles and problems and issues and addictions that for many of us have, have been freed from because of our relationship with Jesus. And whether we have a radical story or not, all of us have a story and your story matters. I think it's important to say, because I know many of you, like me, grew up in church. You have good uh, a Christian family. You've got parents that love you, that have been there for you. And it's easy for us to think that our story doesn't matter and our story isn't very impactful. Let me tell you that your story matters. Your story, whatever it is, the highs, the lows, the in-betweens, the goods, the bads, the uglies, all of it, your story matters to God, and it matters to you and how God wants to use you. So this guy, he has this radical conversion story, and then from there, from his conversion, or from his salvation, to use the language we've been talking about, from his salvation, encountering Jesus, we see the steps that follow. And I want to use the steps that he took as sort of a guide and a help for us to know what we're supposed to do after we've said yes to Jesus that will help us have 
assurance of our salvation. Number one, you got to drown the old life. You've got to drown the old life. Now, this story paints a very vivid picture of that, right? We've got this man demon-possessed. The demons are cast out of him. Now, if you're like, what does that mean? I don't fully understand. What we know is that when you open yourself up to things that are not of God, it can very quickly and easily take over. And whether, whether we see in our world today this sort of demonic possession sort of at large, we see people bound and corrupted by demonic things. So whatever the case, this guy, he was bound by demons. God casts them out of him into the swine, and then we see these pigs, these swine, drown in the Galilee. And then the people are freaked out, right? These are pig farmers. Now, it's interesting. Oh, gosh, I'm going to get so off track. I love this story, and there's so many layers to it. It's interesting because if you know anything about uh, Jewish culture and tradition, um, pigs were like a big no-no. You ever, you, you ever heard the word kosher? Well, pigs are not kosher. Right? Pigs are like, you don't eat pigs. And all the way in the Old Testament, Jews did not eat, touch, be around pigs. And so it's interesting, in Israel, at the time of Jesus, there is a whole colony of people that are, that are raising pigs. So, so you see sort of this, not only for this one man, the demonic or anti-God uh, uh, possession in his life, but even in the culture and in the, in the world around him, we see this opening up to to wicked practices and things that were not pleasing to God. Again, besides the point. So he, ha he has this encounter with God, and there's this radical transformation. So we've been saved. We've been transformed. What next? Well, first thing we're told, that he was seated, right? After he was crazy, naked, and demon-possessed, that he was seated. Now, seated in the Bible... I'm going to use, again, his story as an illustration for what we've experienced if we've said yes to Jesus. And if you haven't said yes to Jesus, by the end of the night, we're going to give you opportunity to do so because I believe God wants to have a relationship with you as well. But throughout Scripture, the idea of seated is always a posture of completion and confidence. To be seated, right, when you're, when you're standing, especially think about yourself as a farmer or think about yourself uh, as a construction worker or think about yourself in just busyness of life. When you're on your feet, that means you're doing something. In fact, in the temple, in the Old Testament, there were no chairs in the temple because the job of the priest, there was always things to do. I had a, a boss back when I worked at Starbucks that would tell me that if I had time to lean, I had time to clean. Like, there, in other words, like, there's no off time. There's no time to settle down. There's always more to do. But the, the posture of being seated is this idea of completion. The work is done. That's why when Jesus, after he died on the cross and rose again, we're told that he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he is seated there in the heavenly places. Why? Because his job is complete. It's finished. And so for this man who is now seated, his salvation is secure. He can have confidence and he can have assurance that what God did for him is complete. His, there's nothing more that this man needs to do in order to be saved. He's forgiven. He is seated. And the same for us. If we have said yes to Jesus, we are seated. The Bible says that we are seated in the heavenly places. 
This idea that we are, the salvation process is done. Secondly, we're told that he's clothed, and we can write the same thing, we're clothed. The Bible paints a, a really interesting story in the book of Zechariah about a high priest named Joshua. Now, Joshua, in this scene, it's kind of a vision, it's kind of a story that plays out. And Joshua, this high priest, has this encounter where he is standing before God. And in this story, there he is standing before God. And all of a sudden, Satan, or the accuser of the brethren, comes into the picture. And, and, he, and he looks at this man and he says, how can he stand before you in these filthy rags that he's wearing? Now, the high priest, Joshua, wearing these quote-unquote filthy rags would have been wearing the garments of the priest. And if you read about the garments of the priest in the Old Testament, they were the opposite of filthy rags. They were made from some of the most expensive materials. They had jewels all over them. Like they were iced out on from head to chest to fingers. It, like completely, they, this was not filthy rags. This was like serious, fancy clothes. And here he is standing before God and he's, they're like, you're wearing filthy rags. Because, listen, our best efforts are like filthy rags before God. And so God, he says, he says, yeah, take those, take those old garments on him, off of him. And then he clothes him, the scripture says, clothes him with righteousness. And this idea of being clothed now means that we are clothed in God's righteousness. Not self-righteousness, not our own efforts, not our own work, but we can be clothed through faith in Jesus Christ with his righteousness. And when God looks at us, the scripture says that we are hidden in Christ. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see you in all your failures and your flaws. He sees you as he intends for you to be. He, he sees you as who you are becoming. He sees you. The, the, the Bible says that, that he who began a good work in you is going to be faithful to bring it to its completion or to bring it to its end. And when you've said yes to Jesus, there begins this process, not of salvation, but of what we would call sanctification, this process of you becoming like Jesus. And this process happens. And when God sees you, when he looks at you, he looks at you as if you're already completed. That's what happens when we place faith in Jesus. The, the garments of, of self and, and sin, the garments of trying to do what's best and trying to do what's right, and, and the garments of, of trying and never achieving, all of that comes off, and the garments of righteousness, come on, we're clothed. And then thirdly, like him, we're in our right mind. Well, some of you are still got a few screws loose. <laughs> Um, but the idea of right mind, as we're using it here, is this idea of pure or washed. Pure or washed. Listen to this verse. This is Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verse 22. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. I, I love that verse because, again, we're talking about this idea of assurance of salvation. We can draw near to God uh, with a true heart in full assurance of faith. God wants you to be confident and sure of your salvation. He doesn't want you walking around thinking, am I saved? I don't know. I've had a tough week. I sinned. I'm still struggling. I'm still bound. I'm still this, that, and the other. God wants you to be confident of your salvation. He wants you to have full assurance of your faith. And he says, having our hearts, listen to this, sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure heart. We can have our hearts sprinkled of an evil conscience and our bodies washed with a pure heart. 
We can have a clean conscience before God, knowing that although we fail, although we fall short, although we struggle, we can be confident that we are righteous before God. So we are seated, we are clothed, and we are in our right mind. And we need to drown our old life. All the thoughts that make you think that you are not righteous, all the thoughts that make you think that you aren't clean, all the thoughts that make you think that you aren't saved, those are gone when you place faith in Jesus Christ. We can have confidence. The second thing, not only do we need to drown our old life, we need a desire to be near, a desire to be near. Look at verse 18 again. It says, and when Jesus got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. After he was healed, he wanted to be with Jesus. Now, obviously, Jesus had other plans for him. We see that in the story. He's like, no, 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 you got to stay here. But he has this desire now to be with God. Let me ask you a question. Since you've said yes to Jesus, if you've said yes to Jesus, do you have a desire to be near him? Do you want to be in his presence? Do you want to be in his word? Do you want to be around his people? True salvation will be seen in your desire to be with Jesus and your disposition towards Jesus. In other words, how do you feel about Jesus? Let me, let me put it very bluntly. Do you love Jesus? I know that's like such an elementary idea and principle. Like we sing like, Jesus loves me, this I know. Like we, we understand that. But, but think about your heart, your posture, your position, your view of Jesus. Who is he to you? Who is Jesus to you? Can you say, would you confidently be able to say, Maybe for some of us, where we're at in our journey, we probably couldn't stand up in like our classroom and say like, I love Jesus. Like maybe we're not there yet. But could you confidently in a space like this, maybe in your small group or, or around Christian brothers and sisters, could you confidently say, I love Jesus. I love him. I'm thankful for him. I recognize what he's done for me. Like he's not just some concept or some idea that I've heard about or we talk about here in church, but me personally, I love Jesus. Can I say, can I put it on the record? Because the podcast is being recorded right now. I love Jesus. I'm so thankful for him. And I look at my own life and, and I want to be a person that learns to love Jesus more. For the last, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but for the last month, We've been in the Gospels. This has not been planned. We've been like the last three weeks in the book of Mark. We've been in Matthew. And all the time, I just get so caught up in who Jesus is. I read a story, and I'm like, this is, it just blows my mind, his, his character and his compassion and, and how he behaved with people that were for him and against him. And I, I always want to go back to Jesus, always want to go back to the cross and just reexamine my life in the light of who he is. Do you love Jesus? What's your, what's your desire for him? Desire to be near. Third and final thing. You guys still with me? Yeah. So we need, to, we need to drown the old life. 
forget those old thoughts that want to make you think that you're still crazy, naked, and demon-possessed. You need to remind yourself that in Jesus, you are seated, you are clothed, and you are in your right mind. We also need a desire to be near him. We need to have, and maybe for some of you, you need to pray that God would give you that desire. I know I've shared this before, but one of my buddies growing up who's a a believer now but kind of walked away from God for most of his high school and adult life, um, he would watch some of his friends or our friends that knew God, and he felt far from God, and he would pray even as a young age, God, I don't have that desire now, but give me, I want to desire you. I want to have that desire. I don't. He was very honest. He's like, I don't have that desire. I want to do my own things. But God, would you give me that desire? And it was probably 15 years later God answered that prayer where he he was given that desire to love God. And so maybe you need to right now just pray, God, give me a desire to love you. Give me a desire to know you deeper. All right, third and final point, worship team, you guys can come up here. I'm done. You got to do what he says. You got to do what he says. You got to drown the old life you got a desire to be near him, but you've got to do what he says. Look at verse 19 again. However, Jesus did not permit him. He's like, I want to go with you. I want to walk with you. I want to be, I want to be the 13th disciple. How cool would it be if there was 13? That's such a cool number, and I've got such an awesome story. Like, you need me on the team. He's like, I want to be with you. Let me, like, I imagine him, like, they're all in the boat, and he's like, Peter, scoot over. Like, he's, like, trying to get in, and he's like, no, no. Jesus, however, he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Jesus sent him away. What we have right here, remarkably, is the first missionary in the Bible. So crazy, naked, demon-possessed, seated, clothed, and in his right mind, Now, missionary to the world. In a matter of moments, in a matter of minutes, this progression, this transformation happens. Jesus sent him out to tell people what he had done. And listen, the man did it. Right? It's interesting because a lot of the miracles Jesus performs, Jesus tells people to not say anything. Most of the miracles Jesus performed, he's like, listen, let's just keep this between you and me. But most of the time, they'd be like, wait. I know you, weren't you like paralyzed an hour ago? What happened? And like, oh, I can't really say. What do you mean you can't say? Well, like this guy, Jesus, he's kind of like got lowered from a roof and then touched me, forgave me of my sins, and here I am. I'm jumping and dancing around. Like, right, a lot of the time Jesus like, don't say anything. But this time Jesus says, go and tell everybody what's happened. And we're told that he went and told people in this, this, what is called Decapolis. Now, Deca is 10, and it's this region of 10 cities that this guy was around or from. And so he leaves this place. He, go, he says, go home, tell your friends. He goes home, tells his friend, and then in this region of 10 cities, tells everybody about what God has done for him. He told everyone. Listen, belief and obedience is always coupled in the scriptures. Belief and obedience. The sinner's prayer, I'm sure you guys have heard that. It's often what we lead uh, us in. 
on nights like tonight when we're giving our heart to God, the sinner's prayer or asking Jesus into our heart are biblical concepts, but they're not biblical instructions. So like the Bible doesn't say if, if you want to be saved, you have to say the sinner's prayer. The Bible does not say if you want to be saved, you have to ask Jesus in your heart. The Bible doesn't say that. These are biblical concepts. They're not biblical instructions. They're practices that we have put in to help us explain and help us engage in the process that's happening. But salvation is always belief and obedience. Or another way, a more direct way to put it is belief and repentance is what the scripture usually says. Believe who Jesus is, believe what Jesus has done, and repent. In other words, go and do. Don't just have this thing be a head knowledge. Actually put it into practice in your life. Because if you believe that that's who Jesus is, you're going to now live like you believe. And so belief and obedience are always coupled in the scripture. This idea of obedience or repentance, it means stop doing old things, start doing new things. Listen, if you want confidence in salvation and you want to know that you know God, start doing what God has called you to do. What has God called me to do? I don't know. How do I, how do, I do that? Well, similarly, God has called you to do the very same thing that, that Legion was called to do. Go and talk about it. Like, I don't know what to say. I don't have like Bible experience. I don't know. This guy knew Jesus for like 10 minutes. This guy never even gone to a church service. This guy never even heard the song So Will I. Like he, ne he never even knew it. All he had, all he had to go out with was, well, I was crazy, naked, demon possessed. Now I'm seated, clothed, and in my right mind. And so he goes up to people and he's like, you need Jesus. Well, why? I don't, I don't believe in a God or, or blah, 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 and I evolution and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I don't know any of that. I don't know. Like, I, sorry, I have no clue. No answers for that whatsoever. They're like, what if, what if a God of love allows X, Y, and Z to happen? I don't know. Okay? I don't know. What I do know is I was crazy, naked, demon-possessed, and now I'm seated, clothed, and in my right mind. Like all of your fancy whatsoever's and nonsense and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Most people I talk with are a lot smarter than I am. I don't know. That's like my favorite phrase in the whole world. I don't know. You probably know. I don't know. I can say confidently, I was crazy, naked, demon-possessed. Now I'm seated, clothed, and in my right mind. I was far from God. I was broken. I was a mess, and I had made a mess, and Jesus found me where I was, and he saved me, and he forgave me, and he gave me a direction, and he gave me a call, and he gave me a purpose. This is who I was, and now this is who I am. And can I tell you that people can't argue with your story. It's the best thing in the world. They can't go, no, you weren't. <laughs> like, uh, yes, I was. Like, you can't argue with that. You, you, you can't mess with that. That's my story. This is what God has done in my life. This is who I am now. This is where I was, and this is where I am now. You can't argue with that. Listen, you have a call from God. 
You want assurance of your salvation? Do what God's called you to do. What am I called to do? You're supposed to live as God wants you to live, and you're supposed to tell people about what Jesus has done for you. You want assurance? Like, I don't know. I'm just wrestling. Am I really saved? Do I need to pray again? I'm not sure. Do you love Jesus? There's only two categories in the scripture. There's two categories in the scripture. There's people that believe in Jesus and love him, and there's people that don't. So which category are you in? (laughs) Do you believe in Jesus and do you love him, or do you not? And if you're in the second category, can I implore you, can I plead with you? Join the first group. It's way cooler. It's way better. It's way more freeing and life-giving. It's way more complete and satisfying. And all you have to do is believe and obey. Believe, repent. Believe and do what he says.